Hey everyone, this is Chris and Sandy Benton with the Chris and Sandy Show. We get up close and personal with some amazing artists. And today, as always, like I always say, we've got a great show for you because we bring on great artists, and every artist we bring on is awesome. And today, we have kind of a legend, Gary Morris. So you may yes. know him. He's done so many things through the years. And, you know, I've listened to a lot of his songs, and, and his songwriting ability is just just pulls at your heart. And we'll talk about a lot of that as we get going. So, Gary, are you here? I'm here. I'm ready. I'm willing, and I'm able. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> We're so glad to have you on the show today. Thank so, you. So, so how are you doing right now with all the COVID stuff? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I live 31 miles from a town, and uh, – mm. I'm uh, I basically am isolated day in and day out unless I choose to leave and uh, come yeah. come into town to go in and mm-hmm. get some grub or something. But uh, mm-hmm. you know what what I miss is that um, I had a bunch of dates scheduled to go work. Some of them were a lot of them were private parties, but uh, you know theaters and some performing arts centers and. They've yeah. all been moved moved back, so I miss being able to go out and perform my music for people. I definitely understand that because all the artists we talk oh, about, that's, yes. been the, that's probably been their biggest thing. And for what you know, and for us as fans of music, you know, and fans of church, you know, we miss going to church, being around people. We miss we do. The, going mm-hmm. to music thing. So, it's, so that's been our issue too, is just being around people. Yeah, yeah we miss it. Uh, and you know, a lot of people when they uh, they've heard people on the radio, they think, "Well, you know, all those people, they're all rich, and it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. if they can just hang out." Mm-hmm. But uh, if uh, if I'm not out playing, I I have no source of income. It's a, like um, even though I had big records on on Warner Brothers back in the eighties, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's been. 15 years since I got a check from Warner Brothers. Uh, so if I don't go oh, work, wow. I'm, I'm yeah. uh, fortunately I made some, some, uh, some good choices some years back, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, a uh, there's a, there's not an income flow. And it, you know, that all changed because yeah. people now, people now believe music is free. Yeah. Back, mm-hmm. back, in, back in the day, we we went and performed live so people would go buy our records and now yeah. mm-hmm. we we hope that uh we get played on podcasts and on radios and country gold or whatever so people will come see us play live it's absolutely the reverse it's yep flip is that crazy crazy you know i i had always said i wished that I could play places and that the ticket price mm-hmm. would be 10, 10 bucks. And mm-hmm. so families could come out. And I know, I know acts that are on the charts now that, and, and big acts where the ticket prices are yeah. three, four, five hundred dollars to get seats. Wow. It's like, whoa, it's way different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I remember when we were, talking with Joe Kelly from CDX Nashville on our state mm-hmm. of the music business.
podcast. He talked about a lot of that like in the 90s. He said, he said he's in the distribution side of things, and he said we made some money back then. He says now it's so different, and, I, and that was one of the questions I asked him, what you just said about the free. Uh, one of the questions I asked him was um, what – I think most people now expect free when it comes to music. How do we change that? And his exact words were he says that ship's been sailed. He says it'll never yeah. go back to that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, and and it's a shame. What that what that's done, it's put songwriters out of business. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, oh, okay. Yeah, a songwriter could, if he got a cut, like I've got, um, I have got two cuts on uh, Garth Brooks' big records, uh, The River. And uh, mm-hmm. every woman, I, every woman I never had, and uh, mm-hmm. those paid the songwriters lots of money. Today, mm-hmm. uh, th- there's no hardly anything that uh, is close to what they call a me- a mechanical license, meaning yeah. units mm-hmm. sold. It's all digital, mm-hmm. and we don't we don't really even have any way of of uh, auditing and finding out well really what was played and uh you know so it's it, it's different it's way mm-hmm. different and and you know um i remember reading and it's funny that it's almost tying into our other podcast that we did earlier at 12 o'clock we did um our state of the music business with michael Blanton mm-hmm. from song songwriting university so this is kind of almost the same theme as then, because we were talking about the songwriting and how they're getting shafted kind of in this day and time. And I remember that I read an article uh, three years ago, four years ago, um, something like that. And it's probably worse now, the numbers. But I remember it was talking about that um, songwriters who were full-time with songwriting in Nashville um, back in the 90s and early 2000s, 80% of them can no longer live on it. Oh, yeah. That's true. I, 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 without calling out names, there were some guys that wrote in the eighties that you know were making a really nice living, and I, I happened to be at a store and saw one, one of the guys that he, who had been very successful, and I said, "Man, how's it going? What are you doing?" He said, uh, "I'm looking for work. I can't get a publishing deal. I can't get twenty five thousand a year advance." To, to just as a base to live on, and so what what's happening is the creators of of songs, not music mm-hmm. songs yeah. mm-hmm. they they they've disappeared because anybody can now program something and call it a song and music and uh mm-hmm. but to me, a song was always a melody and a lyric. Now you make a record out of yeah. it and do what you want, but it's a melody and a lyric. It tells a story. Mm-hmm. There's something substantive mm-hmm. about it. That doesn't exist. Exactly. And it's funny, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you were saying the same thing as the, the other guy on the show. I love this, how sometimes you have two two shows and they kind of blend together. And, you know, so for people that don't know, tell, you know, tell everybody – who you are, where you're from, and a brief overview of okay. you. So to get a small, small piece of your story here. Uh, I, well, I'm uh, Gary Morris, and I was uh, born and raised in uh, 
Fort Worth, Texas. I have a twin sister, and she got all the music oh, lessons. Uh, I, I was uh, <laughs> a four-sport a four athlete in high school and three in college. Never had a music lesson ever. I sang in a Baptist church, hmm. sang solos, sang in the choir. And um, after my junior year of uh, – between my sophomore and junior year of college – uh, three of us, all Texas boys, went to Colorado to, for the summer to drink beer and chase girls and whatever and get a summer job. And at the end of the summer, I was going to go back to Texas Tech and play football. And uh, at that time, I was making about almost $1,000 a week singing with uh, this little oh, wow. trio. Uh, and I said, I think that maybe music is what I'm going to do. And uh, <laughs> it worked out. I, uh, I, got, I got a break. Um, I was uh, the opening act for President Carter whenever he ran oh, wow. for election the first time and went all over mm. the country, played Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. played all these places. And I wasn't a recording artist. I was a kid in <laughs> Texas who who – just kind of got picked to do it. And, uh, then I, uh, in, uh, or like 1980, I believe it was, I decided I was going to go make records. So I drove to Nashville mm-hmm. in my bus and mm-hmm. I lived in it for three or four months and then got signed to Warner brothers. And then the rest of it's pretty much all documented. I had, Song of the Year, a song called Wind Beneath My Wings, and uh, had another one in the top five that same year called The Love She Found in Me, and uh, went out on the road and played, and in uh, 1984, um, went to New York and did a an opera with Linda Ronstadt called La Boheme. Oh, wow. And... Um, I, I didn't even want to go do it, really. I, I fought it, but my record company kept saying, "You ought to do this. This would be a good thing, good thing to do." And, and, uh, and I came back and went on the road with the band. And in 1987, I went back to New York and played the lead in the number one show on Broadway called Les Misérables. And I was the first American to play uh, Jean Valjean in Les Mis. And uh, uh, at that point in time, when when I came back, country radio mm-hmm. never played another one of my songs. They went, "You're not one of us," and uh, oh, wow. I had three albums wow. after that. That's my story in a nutshell. I go out and tour now, I do performing arts centers and theaters, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. most of them I do so just me and th- I take three guitars, and uh, I play up to thousand seat rooms and. I'm having the time of my life now. Now I'm just uh, <laughs> busy writing and uh, getting mm-hmm. material for another record. Now, with this all this COVID going on, since nobody can do anything, have you found for yourself that you've been able to get more done with writing? Uh, you know, uh, no. Where where I live, I'm an mm-hmm. out- avid out, outdoor guy like it's turkey hunt yeah. season so 
I mean, I, I mean, I've been turkey hunting. I've got a river. I've been fly fishing. I've been doing things that people would love to be able to go out and do, but I, I can do them at my back door. I've been writing. Mm-hmm. I've written uh, some. Um, I've written some songs that I, I haven't gotten demoed yet, but I'm about to mm-hmm. demo. And what I wrote well, one song with a with a girl named Alyssa Bonagura, who was. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, on, on Sony, I wrote actually two songs uh-huh. with her that I'm mm. real pleased with. But I, uh, I, my last record, um, I, I pretty much wrote everything at the ranch out here, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's called "Sense of Sense of Pride," and all my stuff's available yeah. free, you know, on. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> You know the own whatever the the digital networks, yeah. but uh, mm-hmm. and so in that's a little me. while we'll that's... be playing Sense of Pride. Oh, yeah. cool. And um, cool. but um, so so as we move on a little bit, um, what are some of the favorite venues you played at, and why were they favorite of yours? Uh, well, you know, I played Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado, which mm-hmm. was kind of a really thrilling night because I had lived in Denver. The, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Arlington Music Hall, which is about a, I think oh, it's wow. a 800 seater down in, down in, uh, right out of Fort Worth, Dallas. The Brontex down mm-hmm. in the, I played at the White House probably 20 <laughs> times. I played on the White House oh, wow. lawn, played uh, in front of the, um, uh, Lincoln Memorial played on the mall, did all those mm-hmm. kind of places. They were, they were fun, fun venues to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be hard to pick a hard one. Uh, I mean, hard to pick <laughs> my favorite. One. I guess wherever you're playing at the moment, it's your favorite probably. <laughs> well, yeah, as long as there's good sound on stage, um, mm-hmm. then, then I'm a happy guy. So because you've been in music for so long at this point, at, at this point of your life, what drives you? Um, you know, I feel like um, like I've been blessed, and I uh, want to return the blessing. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not 20 mm-hmm. anymore, but I can still sing all my songs, and it's and yeah. and. Yeah. There, there's a. It's it's like, like, you plant seed and you get a yard full of grass, and then mm-hmm. uh, you, you want to return the favor. It's not like sod where you just lay it down and there it is. And I'm kind of have always been kind of a plant seed guy, and uh, <laughs> my my fans are spread out from the east coast to the west coast, so. Mm-hmm. I, I and I get requests. When are you coming? When are you coming back to the East Coast? When are you coming back to Florida? When are you, when are you coming to North Carolina? And you know, right now it's like nothing, nothing in sight. The only thing that are, I have really on my schedule is a couple of things in Arkansas and down in Texas mm-hmm. for that I've already moved back towards the end of the year. But yeah. I love to go do it. I'm basically. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I, uh, I got I got my dogs and my music. <laughs> and, and you know we 
we get where you're coming from that you just love to do it. Because we actually originally launched New Country Buzz back in 2014. Yeah. And... Um, we had it running for about a year. We even got to interview Kelsey Ballerini before she became big, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah. But, but we end up um, back in the 2015. We shut it down for personal reasons. It just got too much. And it's like a piece of. I think that's what I learned about music. If you leave it, it never leaves you. And that was the issue I was at. I, I felt like a piece of me died when we shut everything down. And I remember that I even let go of the domain New Country Buzz because I was like, you know what? I'm through with everything. And one day we'll tell the story of what happened, but I was through. <clears throat> but every six months, I would look up on GoDaddy and say, oh, nope, nobody's bought New Country Buzz yet. Six months. Every six months I did that. And then finally, about about end of 2018, I remember telling Sandy, New, nobody has never bought newcountrybuzz.com. I was like, I think we need to relaunch and finish what we started. Because it was just one of them things where I felt empty inside. It was like it's like someone pulled the music out of me, literally, You know, because I enjoyed doing this and all that. Mm-hmm. And she was like, let's, let's do this. And then in the 2000, I mean, 2019, we kind of um, built the foundation for New Country Buzz. And then at the end of last year, we were like, well, you know, I think we need to go to the next level now, do our own little show where we bring people like you on. And Sandy was like, well, what would we call it? And I was like, well, what else? The Chris and Sandy show. I already, I already knew where I was going with this. And she was like, do you yeah. think anybody would listen? Because, you know, who knows who we – you know, we branded New Country Buzz pretty good, but nobody knew who we yeah. were. And I was, and I was like mm-hmm. – I was like, well, it worked for Bobby Bones. It worked for, you know, Ty Bentley. Why can't it work for us? So we call it New – I mean, we called it Chris and Sandy show, and – here it is. You are our 92nd interview since January 3rd. And all this started because – and I say that story because I, I've been on both sides where we had music in us, we quit, we felt, and then it was like emptiness, and we had to come back. Well, I understand that. It's like um, I, believe, I believe a man needs a job. I, you need mm-hmm. something to do. And so the idea of, quote, retiring, what the hell am I going to do? Go play golf? Uh, it's like, now when I can't sing anymore, I'm done. You know, when when people are paying money to come hear me and I can't deliver, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I see, I've yeah. mm-hmm. seen a lot of guys that kept going when they should have stopped. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah. So I'll let the fans they'll they'll tell me they'll tell me by not showing up or whatever uh, that it's time to to go do something else and I'll do something else. And you know I remember a friend of mine who was a pub who was in the public speaking and he spoke in front of tens and tens of thousands of people and one of the and he and I always ask him does he get nervous before he goes on stage and he says he says there he said these people's lives are in my hands. He says, yes, I get nervous. And this was his exact words. I love this. He says, the day, the day I don't have butterflies before I walk on that stage is the day that I will walk away from being a speaker. Wow. Well, I, I kind of have the opposite um, <laughs> point of view. For, and, I'll, and, I tell, <laughs> and I tell, I tell other people who are, who are uh-huh. starting out, I go, look. I know more 
about what I'm doing than the audience uh, does. <laughs> and there's there's some a real value in understanding mm-hmm. the power of silence on stage. Yeah. And some people, mm-hmm. you know, I, I might finish a song and just be absolutely quiet for a moment and mm-hmm. maybe look around. When people in the audience are going, wow, <laughs> what's he about to do? What's think? And I, I might be going, what was I going to sing next? What was, you know, but they don't know that. They don't have a clue. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think I think what helped me is when I did uh when I did the theater in New York where everything mm-hmm. is absolutely you have to hit marks. You have to be mm-hmm. in time. It's like being on a football team rather than being a professional golfer. You, you know, mm-hmm. it's the teamwork that uh that makes all the difference and and now mm-hmm. I don't I'm not carrying a band out. So I'm absolutely yeah. totally free to stop, mm-hmm. to change songs, to do mm-hmm. whatever I want. And, and sure. I really don't get nervous anymore. Uh, yeah. I, but, but I do understand the public speaker's yeah. point of view. Yeah. I certainly and understand. I think, and, I, and I think for him it's not necessarily that he gets nervous because he said it's not that I get nervous. I have butterflies because I want to move the crowd. He says, if I if yeah. I get if I if I don't feel like to, I want to move the crowd, then it's over for me. I can't I can't you know is that these lives are in my hands. I can't get on that stage unless I have that passion still. Yeah, well, I understand that. I mean, he feels compelled compelled to yeah. elicit a certain mm-hmm. response, and and, exactly. he's, and he doesn't do that, or he's not doing it consistently. Yeah, if I went out finished uh sets and people just kind of sat there i'd probably be i'd say i'm done means it's not working (laughs) so as you look back at your career so far which is of course a long one um what are some highlight moments where you're like wow i got to do that and i'm sure there are some big ones Uh, you know and it, it could be recent it could be years ago it don't matter just some moments that really come to mind well, the first thing is um, I did a bunch of stuff for the military all over the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And uh, so I think about highlight moment. I I, I played uh, in uh, Italy, uh, Aviano Air Force Base in a hangar. And mm-hmm. uh, when the guy had asked me uh, if I would come do it, I did a bunch of shows with the uh, Air, Air Force Reserve Band mm-hmm. uh, in, in Turkey wow. and in Germany and stuff. But I'll never forget that particular uh, trip because I got to mm-hmm. fly an F six an F sixteen. Oh wow! Wow! <laughs> I I had to go through four hours of basic training, which meant I, all I learned mm-hmm. how to do was to eject, and then mm-hmm. I was in a in a in a plane with a um, with a a squad leader. Uh, in front, and I was in the the back. I mean, it's a two seater. Most of those, the fighters are just mm-hmm. one seater. But this is a trainer, and we went out mm-hmm. over the Adriatic Sea, and he mm-hmm. let me have the stick, and I got to put the plane in a spin, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, and wow. uh, we we broke the sound barrier, 
broke some Venetian glass underneath us. And, uh, you know, so that's, that was a moment had nothing to do with music except music took me there. Another one was, uh, I was on the white house lawn and I'd had, um, it was a PBS special. Mm-hmm. And I had this jacket that uh, I had made when I did Willie's uh, 4th of July picnic, and it had Uncle Sam painted on the back. And it had red, <laughs> white, and blue stripes. Of, uh, and the the producer of the show came into uh, the trailer and said, you're not going to wear that, are you? And I went, well, yeah. And he said, don't you feel like that that's a little uh, degrading? I went, no, I don't. And that's what I'm wearing. And I went on. And I sang uh, Bring Him Home from Les Mis. And mm-hmm. there were about 10,000 10, people seated on the lawn. It's a big a big deal. And mm-hmm. every one of them stood up and cheered. And he came in after the show and said, well, I said, man, they loved you. And I said, uh, it was the jacket. So uh, I'll never forget that. It was a highlight, a highlight moment. And the first night I played cool. on the Opry was a highlight. Oh, wow. What was that like, it was, uh, that first night? Well, it was, you know, my, my dad, uh, my mom grew up in Mississippi, and my dad in East Texas, and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, they didn't have television. I mean, they had radio, and they'd gather around and listen to the Opry. So mm-hmm. it was a it was a cool thing, and... I sang um, "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry" with my band, and um, and later, a couple of days later, I got a call that said, "You need to come out and hear this" because they recorded it, mm-hmm. and, I, and uh, they, they let me have a, a copy of the live audio, and I put it on an album of mine called "Plain Brown Rapper," <laughs> and it's just oh, wow. live from the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, and it was it was re- really a cool thing for me. That's really cool, and I love that, <clears throat> and I love those moments. Um, but one thing that I like to do, too, is go the other way because, of course, there's been struggles, there's been sacrifice. And I think a lot of times fans miss that side of it, or, or even people who are wanting to go the career in music, that sometimes they think, oh, it's all bubbly, you know, but, but there's so much more to music than the fun side. So I like to go the other way too and talk about that side of it. And then this is, and I'll tell a little story to lead us into where I kind of want this to go. Back in 2014, we interviewed Allison Steele from Two Steel Girls, and at that time they were full time with music. And one of the questions I asked her was, "What advice would she give an up and coming artist?" And she said, "This is going to sound funny coming from someone full time." She goes, "But if your heart will allow you to do anything outside of music." go do that and keep music as a hobby. She says, because once you either go full-time or even try to make a career out of it, she goes, it still is your passion, but it's also your job now. She goes, you have to see this way different than you ever have. She goes, there'll be moments to where you have a really bad day, but if you've got a gig that night, it doesn't matter. You've got to get on there and smile like it's your best day. She said, the family has to sacrifice, not just her and her daughter who were the front band, But every part of their family members have to sacrifice to help them get to where they need to go. She says, but if your heart will not allow you to do anything outside of music, then go all in with music because that's the only way those type of sacrifices become worth it. 
What do you think about what she said? And let's talk about that side of it a little bit. Well, I, I think she's pretty much dead on. Um, you know, I, I have done lots of things during during my career, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. from television and television and film and theater and all that stuff. But it always, um, I, I feel like I'm, I was compelled and still am to do music. There's a real, mm-hmm. there's a real rare disease in my family. It's on my mother's mm-hmm. side, and it's called ataxia. And mm-hmm. uh, my mom was one of uh, seven kids, and my mom uh, is the only one that didn't get ataxia. It's passed down by generation to generation. And so all my aunts and uncles all die. And see, the, the symptoms don't show up till you're – in your um, childbearing or past your childbearing, usually it's in your 30s. This is Friedreich's ataxia. So my mom, I I lost all of my aunts and uncles, all of my cousins Mm -hmm. on my mom's side. They all died. And my mom didn't get it. And uh, I have a twin sister and a younger brother. And and once once it's the chain is broken. It stops. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, at some point in time, I go, why was I spared? Mm-hmm. And uh, then um, I told you I've never never had any, you know, training, any music lessons. <laughs> and yeah. I, my gift was this, mm-hmm. this voice to sing. So mm-hmm. I feel like I've been compelled to do it. And, mm-hmm. um, and 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 it's uh, a, an interesting proposition because I don't like I don't make uh, light of the fact that I've been able to uh, live a good life. Yeah. Uh, I'll be seventy two seventy two this year, and yeah. um, and I still love to walk on stage and sing. <laughs> um, but I think that's my gift, and um, mm-hmm. and I think I'm supposed to share it. Yeah, so, exactly. Mm-hmm. But but yeah. I, I do agree. It, it, there's a price to pay. There's mm-hmm. a big price to pay to be in the business of music, not not for singing yeah. and not for playing, but being in the music mm-hmm. business. Yeah. And uh, and most of them, by the way, Chris, most of the people in this business end up at the end of the road with nothing because they don't. You create a lifestyle. And then at some point in time, that that lifestyle changes because suddenly you're not the flavor of the day, yeah. and uh, and it's like uh, the the business has passed you by, and and I mean most I, I don't know what the numbers would be, but I would guess ninety percent of the people that that are out there that are that make mm-hmm. making or made records are now going. What do I do? How do I survive? Look at MC Hammer. I mean, he he was. Yeah. I think he made a total of like seventy million dollars and went bankrupt. Uh-huh. And now he's like working reg- regular a regular job. And you would I'd have never thought back in the nineties someone like him. But then when you read his story, you find out what mm-hmm. the, one of his biggest flaws was. He brought the neighborhood with him. Everybody on his team was making six figures. 
Well, even when mu- well, yeah. even when the music was slowing down, he still he still paid them. Oh yeah. And again, eventually went and eventually went bankrupt. Yeah, um, yeah, because you the the notion is that it's going to last forever. Mm-hmm. And um mm-hmm. and the the reality is you know if you're uh if you're on a major label I remember mm-hmm. Faith Hill was my secretary before she started making records oh, wow. okay and, uh, cool? <laughs> and I remember one of Faith Hill's first records I was in Los Angeles at uh at WIA the Warner Distribution Network and the guy who ran it came in and he had a little disc but not much bigger than a postage stamp and and i said what's that and he said well that's that's faith hill's new record and i went oh god we're going to that so you take you take take the beautiful face and and the imaging and you reduce it down to a digital recording and the fact that faith hill is not 24 anymore and not not that she and tim aren't set for life but but you know, yeah. it changes. Yeah. And you know, when I was making records, you didn't, you 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 seldom heard the word "damn" on TV. And now on Netflix, <laughs> you you got to you got to cover up your kids' ears. And, I know, uh, crazy. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. everything has changed. Everything has changed. Yep. And. Yeah. And I love that about the, you know, you're so right. So, so much change has happened. And, and the crazy thing is it's changed really in the last decade. It's not like it's changed 30 years. I mean, it's like, I mean, the, the rapid right. change is happening year by year, like on a, on a scale like we've never seen before. And, um, you know, basically without getting political, uh, the, the perspective from the top has changed and, and uh, seemed to be more permissive in terms of language and, and uh, the way we handle things. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a different world and it is a world that you need to take care of your own for sure. Yeah. Because, because like Mm -hmm. you said, like with Tim and faith, although they, they are set for life, if they didn't do right with their money when they were years ago, they wouldn't be. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but you know, <laughs> but, I, I was talking to some some people that book big casinos and stuff, and and mm-hmm. and some some of the big the big acts, um, uh-huh. they're they're asking a million dollars a night to go play. Wow. And, wow. I mean, you know, it's like. And, and going no, I won't work for eight hundred thousand. Now that that puts mm-hmm. it in perspective. The the few people yeah. that are, are out there, and that's out of that's right. I'm talking about country artists. Yeah. So, I thought it was bad day. that Bill Clinton got three. I thought it was bad that Bill Clinton got three hundred thousand to speak. You know. <laughs> yeah. It's like well. Uh, <laughs> That's that's for damn sure. It's uh, the big acts, especially the ones that have television exposure. A lot of it mm-hmm. are off the charts. And if 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 someone yeah. books them, then that's why tickets cost so much. Huh? 
That's, that's interesting. And, and, you know, with this whole COVID thing and people going to be scared to, I think, go into concerts soon, I mean, I think we're about two years away from at least coming close to normal of what we knew of it, if we get there. Uh, and so maybe those prices will probably have to come down because, you know, I'm guessing because uh, I would think a lot of venues might be like, you know what, you want eight hundred thousand? We'll we'll get this person for a hundred thousand, and we'll do just as good. Yeah. Oh, and well, you're absolutely right. What it's always been supply and demand. If you can sell out a ten thousand seat arena, and the the floor they have to pay five hundred bucks a ticket, then you can mm-hmm. de- demand whatever you want. But if suddenly, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what percentage of America is out of work right now, but a big percentage and uh, and suddenly you want to go out and tour, it'd be hard for an act that was getting $500 a ticket for the floor of arena to get $20 mm-hmm. again. But that's mm-hmm. what you People are going to be scared. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and, and the ones that are still scared might say, well, you know what, 20 bucks, I'll take a chance. <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> I think I think that you'll see people in the audiences wearing masks, which is yeah. probably what should yeah. happen. You mm-hmm. know, it wouldn't mm-hmm. bother me at all. <laughs> I plan on that, getting one probably... of those bell one of those bell motorcycle helmets mm-hmm. that that covers your uh-huh. whole face mm-hmm. with, a, with <laughs> a windshield on it and walking on stage with that and then taking it there off. You, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a cool act to, to come out with because people would be like, whoa, what's going on here? You can even uh-huh. ride a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, here, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to play your song, Sense of Pride, and we're going to come back and talk about that. How's that sound? That'd be great. All right, hang on there. Hey, everyone. We have partnered with another great podcast called The Sports Guys Podcast. You can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. The Sports Guys Podcast is a sports and country music podcast hosted by Brandon, Nick, and Andy. They cover sports on a state, regional, and national level with many of the biggest names in the sports industry. The Sports Guys also host a Backstage Pass music segment where they go behind the scenes and talk with some of the biggest artists in country music, everything from Texas country, Americana, as well as Nashville artists. The Backstage Pass provides a more in-depth look at the musicians' rise in music as they talk about their career and tell stories about their music to share with their fans. Many of the same guests will be appearing on our show as well. Again, you can find them over at thesportsguyspodcast.com. It's a grand slam of sports and music. Please go over and check them out. Okay. Uh, when you write a song, uh, it becomes sometimes very personal. This is a is a personal piece of material, and I wanted to do it. And uh, it's allergy season, so I wanted to sing it while uh, while I'm fighting allergies because you know then then it wouldn't sound too pretty. I get accused of that sometimes. So anyway, uh, I really like this one. Behind an old oak door. In a seldom open drawer 
was a faded ribbon and a shining star. There was a sense of pride on my daddy's side that he went away to war, laying wire in front of Patton's fire. In 1944, he was a Texas boy, ever mother's joy. He didn't know the price that every soldier plays behind an old, old door in a seldom open drawer. Was a faded ribbon and a shining star. She was a southern girl, and she was his world, leaving her. He left his only joy. Will she be waiting there? Will she know? Will she recognize the man who left a boy behind a no old door in a seldom open drawer? Was a faded ribbon and a shining star. He never talked about it, but he thought about it. He was a product of his time. That's what they did back then. You know he fought his dreams like he fought the war. Silence screams, but anger roars. So. What a 
moving song. Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. Great song. Thank so you. Where'd that, tell us the story behind that. Well, I actually was down in New Zealand with my uh, uh, co-writer that I, we've written a lot of songs together. I was down there duck hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, we always we always mm-hmm. have a phone or cell phones in the duck blind. And uh, mm-hmm. I said, man, I, I've got this. Just turn on your phone and record this. And I just started mm-hmm. kind of spewing the lyrics of uh, what this <laughs> song turned out to be. Um, and there's, there's, it's obviously, it's a story about my mom and dad, my, my dad was at Camp Shelby down in Mississippi. And my mom was down there mm-hmm. and uh, they went to a, 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 a VFW kind of dance and then I've got, I happened to have my mom's diary before she passed away. And uh, it talks about, there's a page in it that says, I'm so excited. I have a date with Master Sergeant Stanley Morris next oh, week. Yeah. And then, of oh, course, yeah. he uh, went off to Germany, uh, and, and he was in communications and laying wire. And and then, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know, came back, and they got married, and here I am. So I'm pretty glad it all worked out. But uh yeah. But that's where that's where it started. Yeah. It started in a duck, yeah. duck blind in New Zealand, and then, then, um, and my dad, my that part, that generation is really true. They don't, they never talked about the war. But my mm-hmm. dad then one day mm-hmm. handed me a, a little box with a, with a medal he got while he was over there, and it was like uh, home. He never said anything about it. And I was talking to one mm-hmm. of my buddies that I hunt with, and we were. We were uh, talking about the signing of uh, of uh, end of World War Two with uh, J- Japan, and uh, his dad heard us. He said, "I was there." And he said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, I was standing right behind MacArthur when he signed the treaty." So they went mm-hmm. and went to National Archives and got a photo, and there's his dad standing right behind MacArthur signing oh, wow. with his little navy, navy hat on. But he'd never said a word about it in his whole life. You know, that generation didn't talk about it. So that all kind of became incorporated in the song. It's the title cut of a whole CD that I really love. Well, uh, and I can tell you're well. a family. Um, and because we're, we always tell people that our show is a family affair, we kind of got a third-party um, team member, yeah. our little eight-year-old, yeah. little Chris. So we always allow him to come on the show and ask one question to each artist. You can go. Yes. But he's gonna. Sandy's gonna get him on the, real quick. And then we've got a one-year-old right. daughter. So when, so when she gets older, we'll plug her into the show too, because we are a family show. <laughs> cool. Cool. <clears throat> yes. Here's Christopher. Hi, Jerry. Right. What's your favorite tune? My favorite tune. We'll dedicate food. it to you. It's called with food. Yeah, food. My favorite food. Oh my goodness! It's, it's got to be fried chicken. <laughs> fried chicken. Pizza. Pizza. He loves pizza. Yeah. I ate, I ate pizza yesterday. <laughs> bye bye. He he comes and goes quick. <laughs> All right. But he he. He, you know, I've been taught through the years that um, that you inspire passion and purpose into your kids by 
them see watching and seeing you live yours mm-hmm. in front of them because they have a front yeah. row seat. Yeah. And so we hope we're doing that. And we're and like I said, we're gonna we plug him in every show. And when Caitlin gets older, we'll plug her in every show. <laughs> yeah. <Cool. laughs> well, thank y'all now, for you all for having pro- me. You know, we 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 appreciate you coming on. Now, if yeah, um, we appreciate your time. You've probably done a lot of this through your life, but. If you could co-write with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and what would you want to write about? Uh, Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. <laughs> that would be cool, wouldn't it? Wow, that was. That's, yep. that's a first answer for a, you know, I've never heard that one before, yeah. but you know what? That that would be that would be cool to write a song around the Civil War having the person that was that was right there in the middle of it. Uh, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Then you, then at least you'd get the truth, truth, because who knows what the truth is sometimes. Oh yeah, or at least we'd get his perspective of it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what song of yours means the most to you, and why? Huh. Well, in terms of having a career, "Wind Beneath My Wings," because it mm-hmm. uh, is such a universal song. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Um. <laughs> uh, there are there there's several songs that um have a lot of meaning there's a song i wrote called somebody lives there um that uh is about really saving the race and it's about greed about a lot of things mm-hmm. um, uh, i you know it's a really hard hard one to hard one to answer but just to have yeah. a song that you can hang your hat on um, wind beneath my wings. I'm glad it's not achy breaky heart. Although that was a big record, I, you know, I, I would, I would, I wouldn't want to have to go sing it every night. So, so yeah. probably that. <laughs> so, what is your songwriting process? When you sit down to write, do you like write the words, lyrics first, the melody? I mean, or is it different every time? It is different every time. I, there's a song on my last record called single man um that's mm-hmm. called it's called silence says it all and i wrote hmm. the entire lyric i was on a plane going from denver back to nashville and i wrote the entire lyric on the plane with no music and then put it to music but a lot hmm. of times uh there'll be i'll have some kind of guitar riff that i like and it kind of becomes a progression and then um and then the words come afterwards so it it changes, it really changes. And if I'm if I'm concerned about the lyric content that mm-hmm. it be poetic and make a difference, I normally kind of write that and then figure out how to sing it. Oh well, that's pretty cool. So, um, as you know, no matter where you are in the music business, you still got to have goals and stuff. And I'm sure you still got some goals you still like to hit. Um, we. Um, where would you be where do you want to be in five years and just a little stretch this one even more um, this past February made five years that we asked this question to Kelsey Ballerini pretty cool that we got to ask her that and her answer was exactly what she's living now now I know your answer will be different than hers I'm not looking for that but where do you want to be in five years well I'd like to still be breathing um, <laughs> That's a good one. 
And if I'm still breathing, I'd like to be on stage somewhere playing. (laughs) So let's say you had a friend, um, and this would be pre-COVID advice, of course. Um, But let's say you had a friend, and they've played maybe 10 or 20 shows. They haven't done a lot yet. But they've got what every artist says, where they got on that stage, they looked at the crowd, the crowd's cheering them on, and loved the music, and they got that stage bug. And they just know this is what they're supposed to do. So they come to you and say, Gary, I've got that stage bug. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. What advice would you give that specific person to help guide them the next two, three, four years? Uh during this pandemic uh, or just in general? Uh, well, 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 just in general. Pre, like I said, pre-COVID advice here. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, I, I, my would, I would definitely say follow your dreams. Do whatever is necessary to be able to go out. And, if, mm-hmm. and I will give them the same advice that I gave my own sons. If you're doing it for the money, you will be discontented and you will be unhappy because there's never enough mm-hmm. money. If you do it for the joy of uh, communicating, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're playing at a Holiday Inn in Rooster Pood, Arkansas, or playing a, in a Coliseum. You're doing it for the joy mm-hmm. of performing. And yeah. uh, so get your priorities straight or determine what they are, and then go for it. Don't That's just try. You have to do it. I love that because I remember um, a quote from I think Star Wars, and I don't. I'm not a Star Wars fan, but I remember the quote because it was it was to do is I mean to try is to lie, to do is to be true. I've always remembered that because if you say yeah, I'm going to you lie, go. you're it's really a lie you're telling yourself. You're really not doing. Yeah, you're allowing <laughs> yourself to get a way out. Yeah. So. I went to Nashville and, and I records, that. not to try. <laughs> and I love you know. that about No Way Out because, you know, when, when, you, when you watch interviews, and a lot of hosts don't understand this, but you watch interviews with the big artists. And one of the questions, almost every question that gets asked um, from the big artists is, <clears throat> if music didn't work, what would you be doing and 90% of the time, the answer is almost the same. I would just be a broke musician. I had no plan B. Yeah. Because yeah. your plan uh, B yeah, is yeah. your plan A. Yeah. And and when you're far enough in it, that's all there is. I mean, there really is. <clears throat> and, you know, the best advice I think I ever got when, it was when we were launching this show, and I think it's great for artists, too, is I remember – I reached out to a friend of mine in Nashville and asked him what advice would he give us as we, as we begin this show. Um, Cause of course this show is a, is my personality, basically mine and Sandy's personality. And um, uh, he, he said, the best advice I can give you is all be and stay authentic. He says, you can tell every Bobby Bones joke. You can tell every Ty Bentley joke. And he says, you might can even pull it off for a little while. He said, but the day's going to come where if you were pretending to be a Bobby Bones type show, he says, the day's going to come when authentic Chris Chris will come out. And when that day comes, you'll lose every bit of your members, your your audience. He says, but if you stay authentic from the beginning, 
You might grow slower, but the right audience will be there. I think that's absolutely true with music too. There's yeah. a there's a, a there's a short period of time right off the bat for most people that you have to do mm-hmm. you, you have to be uh, open ears and listening, especially to on a major mm-hmm. label, because yeah. they if you don't listen, then I mean you'll be gone. And um, but uh, you, you you have to be there has to be a percentage of what you do from the very start on the very first record that represents who you are and what you're thinking, whether you're, mm-hmm. whether you can get away with it, you know, record companies are so, I mean, that's changed mm-hmm. because record companies are less important than ever, um, mm-hmm. you know, with this age. But I, 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 my first single, I had a song called headed for a heartache and I hated the song, but I thought we made a good record out of it. And, uh, and it played like crazy, and then, and then I went, well, I can write up tempo shuffles forever, and yeah. and and uh, and it wasn't until really I got to like my fourth single, "Wind Beneath My Wings," and then the love she found in mm-hmm. me, which were singer songs that that mm-hmm. uh, kind of guaranteed me a following even to this day. But so. Yeah. I'm a songwriter. I write songs. I, I write songs that say I run naked in the back of my house. And that really doesn't. <laughs> that that doesn't follow suit with with uh, with uh, you're my hero. But you yeah. know, part of part of being a songwriter <laughs> is looking at things and writing what you see or what you feel. Yeah. You know, you've probably done who knows how many interviews through the years. Um, so as we end this with this question, what is a question you you wish hosts like us would ask, but they kind of never do? Huh. Um, I think I, I think a, a good question that you should put in your in your repertoire of questions is, are you happy? Did did all of this make you happy or allow you mm-hmm. to be happy? Because I love that. so many, some pe- so many people. I mean, you find guys that um, you know want to cut their wrist or overdose on drugs or whatever, and you got to go. Those guys really aren't happy with what's going on or the way it turned out. And yeah. um, and, and against all odds, I, I'm I'm a happy guy. I yeah. I think I've been blessed. Yeah, that, that I love that. That, that great, and I'm about to keep that one in mind. You know, I may have to, um, if if people would be honest. Of course, again, you're on a live show, and you ask an artist, "Are you happy?" You know, I think most are going to say yeah, but you never know. You might have some say, "Well, some days I am, and some days I'm not." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. just I think. The 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 financial rewards of being successful in any business uh, also, uh, along with uh, with success comes responsibility. And yep. uh, I mean, I, you know who I feel sorry for right now are guys that I really like that have mm-hmm. uh, big organizations. Uh, Brad Paisley, the guy who played guitar for me, Gary Hooker, in my band mm-hmm. while we were on the road doing all that. He's been in Brad Paisley's band for 10 years or 12 or 15 or whatever it is. 
Mm-hmm. And he's got such a big organization. And, you know, they're, are they going to go back out and play? Well, when will that be? And does he have to pay everybody? And what responsibilities? I'm not talking about Brad, but Brad and, yeah. and the slew, slew of other big acts that have uh, a huge overhead. My, the only thing I have for overhead is a roof in my house, so <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty well off. That's the way to do it right, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so as we end this, tell everybody how they can reach you if they want to find you. Find me at GaryMorris.com, and all of my records are up. Everything uh, from the beginning to currently, and there's – there's some really cool projects on there. Um, so I invite you to go to GaryMorris.com and, uh, you know, and I'll leave you with telling you that I do a lot of private shows. I've done, you can't, it's hard to believe it. I've done 50 year birthday parties, uh, 60 year birthday parties where the husband said, my wife loved you. Would you play at a private birthday party? Uh, So, but, uh, yeah, GaryMorris.com. That's how you find me. That's great. And, you know, we really enjoyed having you on today, and we look forward to bringing you back down the road as long as you have breath in your air. <laughs> yes, right, thanks, man. absolutely. And we'll talk to you real soon. Yes. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Really awesome guy. It was really cool. That was a cool interview to do. Um, but anyway, um, as always, we got another show coming at you tomorrow. We got one show tomorrow, one Thursday, and one Friday. Oh, I guess well, tomorrow is Thursday. So we got one tomorrow and one Friday, and then we are through for two days, two day break, and then back on it next Monday. Talk to you later.